You are listening to the Worth the Fight podcast radio program with special guest, genocide survivor, award-winning musician, Enric Zifa. Here are your hosts, Dustin Fox and Brian Rose. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Worth the Fight podcast. I am still Brian Bros. I'm joined, as always, by my esteemed co-host, Mr. Dustin Fox. What's good, my dudes? This week's guest, guys, is Mr. Enric Sifa. He is a survivor of the Rwandan genocide of 1994. He's an incredible musician, badass business dude, just all-around incredible person. Yeah, Enric, I, if I can just interrupt you for a second here, yeah. Brian. Enric is one of my favorite human beings on planet Earth. Um, this dude is always happy. I don't, I do. Probably I quite honestly lie. one of the most positive people I've ever met. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. really honestly stupid and I'm upset about it. Um, this guy, I want to quickly talk about just what he kind of lived through as a kid. So yeah, just give were, people some context. The Rwandan genocide that you mentioned of 94. Um, a couple quick stats for you. Half a million to a million. That's the range of deaths that occurred during this time, including some people that were close to Henrik, which we'll hear about here in a minute. Half of those deaths had rape involved in them as well. There's a huge Jeez. sort of sexual misconduct, like like there's kind of whole articles about like that side of this genocide, which also touched Enric and, you know, we'll, we'll find out more about that in a minute. In the first six weeks of this genocide, roughly 800,000 people were murdered, which is a kill rate roughly five times higher than the Holocaust. That's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy that someone like him can even survive that, let alone now be thriving and using, you know, his music and his business savvy to, to kind of spread a message of, of hope and share a story with the world. Like it, it's insane the journey that this guy has gone on and how this is a good one on how he's ended up kind of at the end of it and stuff and how positive he is. So I love it guys with, without further ado, Mr. Enric Sifa. So just a quick background. I mean, I know you know this obviously, but so I've known you uh, almost 15 years now. I think we met, did you, did you come over here in 04, 05? 05, to, yeah. To, to America. So, um, that's what I knew you from. And so I, I don't know for that long and I've really only heard little bits and pieces of your story just from, you know, you telling it to a crowd of people for, you know, five to 15 minutes. And, mm-hmm. uh, that's really sad to me. So I, I figured, you know, I wanted to get you over here and I really want to dive, you know, as much as you're willing to share about your, life story because it's it's not every it's not very many people's story they can't not a lot of people can relate to what you've been through and i think uh it's powerful and so i'd love to hear you know obviously you were born in rwanda you know take us through what your your upbringing and kind of all the the things that happened absolutely struggles yeah so basically i was born in rwanda and uh um, you know i was about you know five years old when the genocide happened there um it was definitely difficult times. Actually, right now, uh, this month we are in. Uh, it's a memorial, uh, memorial month uh, for the uh, uh, 26th. Uh, actually, uh, memorial uh, month, uh, month for for the genocide. And uh, um, yeah, it was you know it was it was horrible times. Obviously, you know there are a lot of people who died. You know, my family died during that time. Uh, you know, and. Uh, you know, kind of being five years old and seeing people really butchering each other. You know, you know, I I, I do remember well, like a person, this guy that I used to you know being buried alive. And uh, so when you're a kid, kind of you start witnessing things like that is uh, uh, basically you know something uh, kind of 
uh, you know, I can't explain now well, you know, uh, but um, yeah, so I saw, you know, there were a lot of things happening for sure with killings, with uh, people being cut, their heads cut off by machetes, those kind of things. But So you were seeing you know, this, the people getting buried alive, getting their heads chopped off, you were seeing this at age five. Yeah, how, uh, yeah how old mm-hmm. were you? Eight, five, you were five years old? Yep, yep. So, well, the killing started basically, you know, when we were playing on the streets. I mean, as yeah, that we didn't really know what was happening between the conflict between both uh, um, both sides in the, in the country, uh, and um, um, all you what we started seeing all of a sudden was to seeing like roadblocks in the streets, and everybody was being asked for their identification cards. And back in the day. They used to say whether you're Hutu or you're Tutsi, those kind of uh, the two tra- uh, ethnicity groups that were being uh, uh, um, uh, who had a conflict with each other, and the Tutsis were the ones who were being targeted. And um, but uh, uh, so all of a sudden, you just see people started being like, you know, you're playing, you know, trying to run around the streets. You just like uh, see people being like just uh, pulled over and, and and beaten up or like or killed there and. You know, and so, you know, uh, that's basically how things started. You know, the sudden started seeing, like, the homes being burnt on the hills in the night, and then we'll go to hide in the bushes, or, the, you know, um, um, and um, basically that happened for uh, 90 days, you know, three months. And I think uh, in a country with almost uh, only 8 million people then, uh, one million of them were just killed. Wow. In many days. So, so an eighth of the population. That's just... nuts. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was definitely difficult, but you know, uh, somehow I got out of it. And, uh, uh, and then, you know, right after the genocide, basically it was just me, my siblings, some of my siblings and my mom. And, um, you know, my mom was, uh, you know, uh, the, a widow then. And, you know, she tried to take care of us for a little bit. Uh, for a couple of years and she also was diabetic, uh, and she actually had to take medicine, uh, every day. And so because of, you know, the genocide and everything was gone and, uh, um, and she had the diabetes and she was, she had to work for us every day. So, and, uh, and also she got also beaten up by this guy who wanted to take over our property and she was raped actually during those times. And with all that was happening, you know, uh, she also passed away from those things. So you're saying you said she was widowed. So you're, if I'm getting this correctly, so your dad passed away yeah, because of the, the genocide. genocide. He was he was murdered. Yeah, yeah, um, he was murdered during the genocide. So it was and just you and your mom, and then she was. They later beat her, and she ended up dying as a result of that. Yep, she ended up dying from being beaten up, and this guy basically. You know, uh, like locked 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 her in his own room and beat her up. Kind of, you know, she was even raped because she told us later. But uh, um, yeah, as and she ended up actually going, you know, dying from all those things. And so by that time, I was like, um, you know, I was like, uh, let's say, uh, so far, so that was just like uh, eight, maybe six years. So five, uh, yeah, I was around eight, nine. Uh, that's basically when um, I went on to live on the streets. So, you know, um, basically living on the streets back then in Africa was completely different uh, because there were so many kids who were orphans, didn't have, you know, uh, uh, 
uh, didn't have like uh, parents and some of the kids were orphans some of the kids were there just because uh, they're always going to be bad kids but um but living on the streets there basically for a period of time and uh i think i lived in the streets for six years uh so from nine years to when i was uh um to when i was like uh you know uh 14 perhaps uh and um uh, i basically uh uh, basically living on the streets there was, was difficult as a kid. You know, you're nine years old and you are the one who, you know, is in charge of your life. You know, where are you going to eat? What are you going to eat? Where are you going to sleep? And obviously we slept outside, you know, every day and every night. And, uh, you know, I, I did on, on, on the streets really. I, I actually developed singing music again, um, mostly when I was living on the streets because my mom used to love to sing a lot. And my, you know, uh, my mom basically sang a lot of songs. She used to be in a group of actually women who sang, um, when she was young. So she was in a women's group. And, uh, so she used to sing some songs. So when I, I was in the streets, basically I used to sing my mom's songs and especially in the night. And that's basically when I would like, you know, uh, get some encouragement of, you know, of what was going on. And eventually kids on the streets started actually, uh, you know, wanting for me to sing for them, you know, and they start singing for them and start, you know, charging them for money actually to buy food. <laughs> uh, this kind of okay. Thing yeah. Um, and so you were probably making more money in music in that time than I ever have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I was, yeah, I was making money by, you know, uh, to, you know, to buy food, you know, buy shoes. I've always loved the shoes, um, uh, to buy, uh, uh, to go, to go watch movies. You know, we, we had this, you know, small kind of like a bedroom type of size uh, theaters where you would go and just sit on the ground, you know, and watch movies like Chuck Norris back then it was big, you know, uh, uh, Jet Li, Jack Chan. We always watched just, uh, you know, action movies because we didn't, you know, didn't, we didn't know English. So, uh, the action movies were the ones who, you know, you didn't have to know what's going on to enjoy what, it. So. What was your favorite action movie? Ah, uh, man. Um, action movie i know i'm hitting you with the hard-hitting question now it's like no it's like the uh kind of finding out with the title would be kind of difficult but i know like the people that have yeah uh, who's your favorite action star yeah oh star you know when i was a kid i i liked i liked a lot so i liked all really action people so i liked of arnold schwarzenegger i liked uh, jean-claude van damme yep uh, yeah. jean-claude van damme probably was my favorite to be honest <laughs> and uh uh, but also I liked, uh, uh, Jet Li. Jet Li was really good too. Um, uh, and, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, the guy who is in, in the Ip Man, Ip Man. Oh, Donnie it? Yen? Yeah, Donnie Yen. Yeah, Donnie Yen was good too. Yeah. So, uh, those kind of guys, you know, we watched, uh, uh, Chuck Norris as well. You know, Chuck Norris was super big. Actually, the first time I knew about America, that it was, America was a country was because of Chuck Norris for sure. <laughs> mm, nice. I never heard of America before. <laughs> okay, cool. So you you're making money uh, mm-hmm. singing to other orphan kids. To I, I'm assuming to maybe people who are traveling who are coming through. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And so what what happens after this? So you and uh, uh, so with that, basically, uh, you know, I started doing stuff, and then um, eventually uh, I. Uh, um, I was actually 
because I used to go to the to music uh, music uh, kind of like nightclubs because that's where the music were playing, and um, and I used to try to sneak in. I'm like this ten year old, eleven year old, try to sneak in into a nightclub because uh, I wanted to to listen to the music, you know, because I really love the music, but that's the only way to go. So uh, I did that multiple times, and eventually, actually, I got caught, and then I got beaten up. By this security guy and pushed me out of the concert, and um, really I was sad that night, and that really made me kind of really myself want to do my own singing in some ways. Um, and uh, I was sleeping that night and really felt encouraged. Uh, and you know, I always say like it's God who taught me that night that you know that I really that uh, He came to me and started encouraging me, and, and all of a sudden I started feeling like I'm not sad anymore. So the next day, I actually went started going to this church in uh, in this little town called Kayonza, and uh, because uh, you know the churches were always open and people are you know singing African churches, they always have drums, it's always loud. So I would go there just for that, and then eventually I kept going to church, and uh, uh, and so I became actually uh, a believer and. Uh, um, and so, and then eventually I met with this woman, um, Serena, actually in Portland, and she was coming to Africa to uh, help this non-profit organization start. And uh, she saw me with other kids and she she wanted to help me. She said God wanted, you know, was telling her that she should help me. So basically since then I, I went back to school and, and uh, my um, uh, Serena and her family bought me a fast guitar and they sent me a guitar. Then I started kind of, you know, teaching myself, you know, reading the chords and the guitar and I started singing. And, and then after that, there was uh, a singing contest in Rwanda, which was kind of like uh, back in the day, it was about like a songwriter. So it's kind of like American Idol type of level because it was the, all the country uh, or people could come to it. Uh, but you had to write your own songs to go in. And so I wrote some songs that I went to compete and, you know, um, and then I end up winning that contest. So uh, basically, since then, that went. That was when really the music stuff started happening, and that was when I was like, I don't know, fourteen, fifteen, you know. And so I started getting known in the country. That's basically how the music start, you know, stuff happened. And eventually, uh, we formed a group, a little group called Hindurua, uh, 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 to come to America to uh, tour and help uh, this nonprofit raise. Uh, sponsorship for other street kids and and basically that's how i got to america so but you yeah sorry, yeah I, I was asking during during the time that you won that contest so when um when you met this american woman and she started helping you out she's bought you a guitar all that are you still an orphan a street kid at this time so basically no um so at the beginning she wanted to help me but i was still like a street kid and and so uh I was a little bit older, so I wasn't even kind of the the kid that the nonprofit they were doing. Uh, she was helping start were looking for, right, so I didn't feel gotcha. I, I didn't fit their criteria. And so actually, the nonprofit didn't accept me for a while, and uh, um, and she kind of like tried to see how she can send help to me separately, but there was no way that we can communicate, and so. So eventually the nonprofit agreed that she should she can send the help uh via um the nonprofit to help me. So 
that's kind of how I got into the uh, into that organization. And so after I got into the, that organization, I started living uh, with uh, uh, there is this woman actually in the church who uh, saw me at a church and um, uh, and then she asked me to come and stay with her. And so I started living with that woman because she knew I didn't have a family and she was a widow herself. So, but she kind of said like, I can come stay with her and her kids and eat whatever she, you know, she can make. And, and so that woman really kind of changed the whole, um, the whole thing about me getting off the street. And so after that, and then I got sponsored through that nonprofit. Um, and then, uh, uh, um, and then I won a contest when I was still living, uh, in a, uh, in a remote area with this woman, with this widow. And then after I won the contest, then I came back to move to, I moved to the bigger city, to Kigali, which is the main city there. And I started living with different other people. Gotcha. Are you, are you still in contact with that woman, Serena? Oh yeah, of course. Of course we're in contact. Yeah. Yep. It's crazy. It's, uh, it's crazy how, uh, life can change for sure. But, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we're doing well now. So. Yeah, so yeah, I came to US and then uh, we toured with uh, Hindurwa for uh, three tours, which is three years. And by that time, I was uh, actually doing school online and while I was touring. And uh, eventually the tours ended and I wanted to go back to school. And so uh, somehow also uh, the doors were opened for me to come to high school in Oregon, in Portland. So I came to a high school, uh, Westside Christian, which is a private high school that was in Lake Oswego then. And um, uh, so I started there. And even then I was still gigging on weekends and, you know, uh, basically doing music too. And how old were you when you were in high school here? In high school, I was still like uh, performing at events, fundraisers, you know, colleges, high schools, concert halls, you know, whatever. And then after high school, basically I went to college in in Portland as well, and uh, I won a Pacific, and and uh, I uh, graduated with business uh, and finance degree, and you know, and even in college I continued to play some music too. So, and after college, basically you know I got married, and Whitney and I, uh, my wife, we moved to Los Angeles, uh, partly because we just wanted to explore, and. Uh, there was no really particular reason we moved to LA except that Whitney was born and raised in Oregon. You know, I lived in uh, Oregon all my uh, time in the US. So we just wanted to move somewhere else for a little bit and see what's out there. And uh, we happened to have friends uh, who live in LA and then they were like, hey, you guys, if you want to come visit LA and stay with us, you know, uh, you're welcome. So we moved out here and we stayed with that, with them for like six, seven months, actually. And, uh, um, and then started, uh, from there, basically, that's where we've been since then. And, uh, in LA, basically, I joined the finance, you know, I joined the, the, I became a financial advisor for a while, uh, for like two years, two and, yeah, two years. And, uh, and actually, after that, I, you know, I'm still in finance, even though I don't do advice anymore. Now I'm in a leadership role in our, our farm uh, here in Woodland Hills. Um, so basically, I'm in finance right now, and um, and I'm also, you know, uh, still playing, you know, still writing. Uh, like I said, I I released a, a single recently, you know, a while ago called uh, "All My Love," that I that I kind of uh, 
brought yeah, me back to, to the yeah. music. Um, Great song. Yeah. So it's been kind of a little bit challenging with, uh, with kind of the way I used to do stuff to go in the studios there. So that's why, like, uh, now I'm trying to build a home studio, uh, so that I can actually have some producers come to my house for the sessions. That way I can spend more time actually creating instead of, you know, as you know, LA everywhere is one hour or two hours. And so, uh, because of traffic. So it's been kind of challenging to, to go to studios, but, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm building my own studio now. So. Hopefully, we'll be uh, seeing more music coming up soon. And I have to say, too, man, I mean, even just in terms of what you've accomplished, you know, I think it's incredible that anyone that's able to be a financial advisor and a successful musician, no matter who you are, it, that takes a certain breed of person. And then if you put on top of that just the, just everything about what you've survived, um, you know, I mean, you lived in the woods, you lived in the, on the streets, you know, as a child – um, to, to me, to go from that, um, to really having basically no options, no privilege, no family, um, to tons of family, nothing but options, you know, a growing family, you know, we could talk about, you just became a father, mm-hmm. um, yep. you know, yep. that, that's amazing to me. You know, I think, uh, it's, uh, definitely, uh, you know, I, I feel I consider myself blessed for sure. You know, um, I, you know, I don't. I don't take it for granted. I don't, you know, I don't think it's because I'm talented or special in any way, you know, shape or form. It's just, uh, one of those things that, you know, just the universe leads you to, you know, um, so I just don't know. I've always learned, you know, you know, starting young, I've always learned to walk through every door that opens up for me, you know, and because that's the only thing I can control and see what's what's out there and so that's even why when I went back to school in the first place after not going to school for six years as a kid and uh because opportunity opened and I wanted to to go for that opportunity and uh opportunity to come to America opened I just come to America without knowing you know where where it was going. You know, when I first came here I didn't you know, even know English at all. Um I had people translating for me to even, you know, share whatever I wanted to share, you know. And then school opportunity opened, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it in American education, but, you know, I just trusted that somehow it's going to work out and worked out. And, uh, um, and, I, and then, then I graduated. I didn't even know that, I didn't even know that the investments exist, you know, like stuff like, you know, financial advising or like, you know, equities, stocks, mutual funds. I didn't know about any of that until probably my last month of, um, I didn't know how economy work here with, with the financial institution until probably my last month of, of college, you know, <laughs> because the only thing I knew was the bank, you know, uh, but then after college, um, because I've always wanted to go into, you know, sales type of stuff so I can have time and, uh, uh, to actually do my music because they didn't want to have traditional jobs. So where I'm actually kind of locked in nine to five and I can't, you know, I can't really, if I want to go on, on, a, on a quick tour, then I can't stop. Or if I want to go in a studio, I can't stop. So I didn't know, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be in a, you know, I wanted to look into like real estate or something I can do and then do also have free, free time to do music at the same time. So this guy, um, I asked him for lunch and then he was like, I know a guy who's in sales, but he's in finance. I was like, okay, let me talk to him. And then 
and this guy was an advisor at Edward Jones in Oregon. And I came, I went to talk to him. He told me about it. I was like, okay, I'm down for it. You know, I didn't even know what I was getting down for, you know, <laughs> just, but, just, just um, into it. but I kept pursuing. And then, uh, and then when we moved to LA, I put on my resume up and then this, uh, financial firm basically, which is a huge company, Fortune 100 company in the, uh, right now in the finances. And, uh, I'm not going to mention them for now for a little bit, but, um, so um, they interviewed me, and then I went there. I didn't know anyone in LA, you know. I didn't have I had nobody, but somehow, you know, things start working out, and it start really becoming successful um, uh, in the finding, you know, uh, business, and and you know, people start trusting me, you know. You know, it's kind of kind of that kind of really unplanned favor, like you don't really know why this is happening, you know, but you are love you love enjoying it, you know. <laughs> Cause like, I'm like, you know, who am I? Like a kid from Africa, like street kid, you know, lived in the street. And now all of a sudden I am in the northeast of, uh, a 50 year old white American man who is an engineer. And I'm talking about managing their portfolio. You know? <laughs> and so to, yeah. So to me, it's like, yeah. So it was like, uh, sometimes I would be doing this and then I present and I close the case. Then I go home driving as what the. Heck, just happened, you know, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like, you know, it's like, it's like definite dreaming. And that was really good. I was, uh, I was an advisor for, uh, I was a financial advisor for 22 months at my farm. And then they were like, Hey, you know, we want to promote you to a partner. And so, uh, and then, and, and they promoted to a partner. So now I'm a partner at a financial uh, services firm in Woodland Hills and, you know, also a father again, you know, um, my little kid Malik, my little son, it's like, uh, uh, he's definitely a great joy and a great education for me, you know, in the ways of, you know, how to love, you know, I didn't really realize uh, as much as how people are capable, you know, to love other people until probably I met my, you know, my son again. And, uh, uh yeah, so there are, there are a lot of good things for sure. That's one of the things we wanted to talk about as well, Enric. You you recently just became a father. Being a father now, how how has that changed your your viewpoint on on your own father and and growing up and kind of everything? Yeah, so uh, you know, I think uh, first off, I think that uh, um, it's kind of hard to really uh, kind of think both because part of it is the culture that I'm in now and the culture that you know that that I was born in, you know. Um, I know that I really want to be around for my son and, uh, you know, and I want, I want to raise him the ways that with no boundaries of what he can do. You know, um, I think one thing that I liked about my father, even though I don't really remember him that much, you know, uh, like really I remember his face, but I remember he was fun, you know, he was goofy, you know, uh, and, uh, he was, he was actually, uh, in the military for a while. So, he was that kind of guy, but I don't really remember him that much. And, um, but I know like my mother used to talk about, you know, uh, all good things about him. So I know he did his work in, in, in the time, in, in, in the right time that, you know, that, that he was with us. So is my mom. I just don't feel like, uh, 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 I don't feel like I could be where I am now if I didn't have great foundation at the beginning. And they always say like the first five years are important. Uh, for the kid to be with his parents. And I feel like I spent my five, first five years with my parents. 
And I think they really, whatever they did, even though I can't remember exactly, I think that helped in a ways of allowing me to move forward in life. You know, one thing is that I've never like really got in like serious trouble. I've never been uh, in crime. I've never like, you know, when I was a kid and had all the freedom where you get that adolescence age as a boy and you just, and you're free. And I saw kids really, you know, going to steal things and fighting and, and, you know, lighting things on fire and doing stuff like that, you know, because you don't have parents and you are free. But, but I, but I just I felt like there was always something in me, even when I was a kid without them that always told me that I'm not supposed to do that. You know what I mean? Uh, obviously, you know, I did some other things, but, but for serious stuff, I just always felt like I'm not, I wasn't supposed to do that. And I never did it. And raising myself, if I would say, and, and going through the street time without really uh, even being called to the police station, you know, which most kids were there every day. I think that, you know, uh, personally, I think I would credit that, you know, to my parents, you know. For sure. Just making sure you're laying that that, that firm foundation early on. Yeah, just from foundation. And so I want to also do the same with my with with Malik, with my son. Just want to be there for, for him, you know. I want to... Um, just know, like, you know, I'm available and, um, and love him the way, but not in a way that he's not going to be able to, to bite if it's necessary to bite. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I don't want to teach, you know, uh, one thing about African, you know, uh, parents, they don't raise you protecting you from danger. You know, uh, that's not how they raise kids. They actually prepare you on how to deal with danger because they know the danger is always going to be there. And so, uh, it's just a part of so now that's kind of like a little bit of, you know, learning it with myself, try to balance, you know, meeting up with uh, other men who, other parents who are from a different culture and they have kids in America. That's something I'm so researching and reading about how to balance my own uh, previous culture and, and with raising an American kid, you know, uh, it's not like uh, it won't happen automatically to be able to do it the right way, you know. So I'm spending a lot of time researching it that way as well, so that I don't become too African to him, you know? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be too African, right? That's, that's, that's funny. Um, one thing, I was saying this to Brian earlier, too, is, that, you know, you can't, I, I can't imagine the difference between the environment that you were raised in and the environment, you know, now, you know, your son is going to be, you know, in a, in America, in a, in a white world that with a mm-hmm. financial advisor, so, you know, L- literally father, polar opposites. I, I can't think of yeah. two different childhoods. And so, you know, like you said, you know, you, you had, you know, being raised by African parents where, you know, the African style of parenting being prepare you for danger. And now here you have a son who's not in any danger. Yeah, <laughs> at all. exactly. <laughs> so what, you know, what's, how are you taking that away? And, um, yeah, how do you balance that? How do you balance with, you know, the, you know, um, I guess, uh, uh, you know, I read something about how, you know, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, in America, you know, kind of reading it being about to be a father, you know, how basically the key, like, like where I am now is just to like be there for them and love them so that they know uh, that they have enough love. Uh, uh, so that, you know, when they spend a lot of their time, instead of like trying to actually spend a lot of time comforting themselves or figure out, figuring out on, uh, defense mechanisms, 
actually if they have enough love they're going to spend all their energy and mental energy in creativity and in expanding themselves because they already know the love the love part the care part the uh the commitment part from parents is always there and so you know become as defensive now that's not how I was raised you know I was or oh, I grew up I grew up in a defensive mechanism where you know you um you know you don't you don't feel safe at all you know what I mean uh both physically and psychologically and um so uh so growing up like that you know where there is no nothing makes you feel safe uh both that it's going to attack you you know with your mental space or your mind so the mental space was always like you know figuring out you know what's going to be the option what's going to be the next step you know how do i you know overcome this in case this happens you know some people call it survival mode i don't like to call it survival mode because i feel like in some ways everybody survives you know anywhere you are we all have suffering in our own ways um but but just being more like living a more in a tactical lifestyle every single day which is really how I was raised so being able like as a father to recognize that and and maybe uh you know provide that safety to my son so that he doesn't have to feel like he has to live in a more like a defensive way you know that's something that I I'm trying to explore and see how that would look like Well, they have that thing. I I think it's called the Maslow's, the hierarchy of needs, that triangle. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. the, you've got, um, there's, there's some really base survivalistic needs that you have to have first, like food, obviously, yeah, food, mm-hmm. water, shelter, shelter, water. And then, you know, once you get those, then you can move on to, you know, the next level, the next level. And then the last things mm-hmm. at the top are like comfort or, yep, you know, yep. love, you know, those, those yep. types of things. And so, you know, it's almost like, when you're in a, you know, a third world environment or, you know, any environment where, you know, even mm-hmm. in a first world country, if you are just in, you know, a, a situation where you have to strive to get by every day to, you know, to find the next meal, the next paycheck, whatever, you're basically a good parent if you just keep your kid alive mm-hmm. until they exactly. move out. That's <laughs> yeah. it. You did yes. your job because you're at yeah, the bottom of the triangle. Yeah. yeah. You've done the, you've done the base needs to get right. by as a human being. You, yeah, I mean, your, right, your job, right, you're yeah. reading, you know, books on parenting. Like that, that wasn't available to your parents. No, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so if they can eat and have a, set, a place to to stay, you know, then you are, you're doing great. You're doing great. So what are some things, I mean, when you were out on the streets, um, mm-hmm. did you, how did you find family? Did you, did you have, I know you, you had lost your parents and I think one of your brothers mm-hmm. as well, but did I think you had a couple other brothers and sisters. Did you have contact yeah, with them? Yeah, I did. So we separated. So after my mom passed away, you know, my aunt who lived in a different uh, uh, province, she came back to and then she picked up my young brother and my young sister then who uh, uh, were so young, uh, meaning like they were like, you know, younger than me. And uh, I, I basically, uh, I was left to stay with a neighbor in the same neighborhood. And, uh, um, and then the neighbor basically, and it was the same neighborhood where I grew up and, and I was kind of scared of the guy who did some things to my mom. And, and so basically that's how I ran off to go to the streets. Uh, and so I was separated with my siblings for a while. And, uh, so actually I reconnected with my siblings later after, um, after I became a musician because, um, uh, they started seeing me on TV and radio and, and so, 
uh, and then we connected then. So that's basically how I connected with my family. And they're doing pretty, pretty, pretty well. And again, I think that, you know, somehow, you know, God or Mother Nature, whatever you call it, you know, really uh, helped us, all of us really uh, get to a better place because my brother is doing pretty well now. He's actually a president of a, 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 a coffee farmers cooperative in Rwanda. And wow, wow. he has his own coffee plantations. Now he's exporting his coffee to America. And uh, uh, my sister graduated from medical school. Now she's uh, uh, she's a pharmacist and and also have a TV show, uh, kind of like a health TV show. It's wow. a talk show on TV over there that she actually uh, uh, has a show there about like you know healthy healthy living those kind of things. Um, so yeah, I think we all really did. Uh, I think somehow everything ended up really being um, uh, becoming together. Obviously, you know, I was the first bigger brother, so you know. I helped them a lot at the, you know, the younger age when they're going into primary school and secondary school. You know, I also helped them find, find some uh, sponsors here to help them go to school. That's how they were able to basically get the education they got. Uh, but now they're doing well. They don't ask me for money anymore. You know, <laughs> That's great. Um, That's a good sign. Everyone, exactly. So, yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, so the, everyone is doing well now. Okay, so Ed, I just wanted – you said a couple things there that I want to make sure I got the details of. So um, you said – so you got separated from your siblings, your, the brother and sister that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Then you were staying with a neighbor for a while and then you – it sounds like you were nearby or you were scared that, about the government official that uh, took your house and had raped and killed yep. your mom. Yep. And so you ran up – that's how you ended up on the streets – Yes. Um, and then they found you again because you were on TV because of music? Yeah, because I was, uh, yeah, after I won that singing contest, so then I was basically everywhere. So that's kind of how they found me. And then they came to the city and we celebrated, you know. Uh, we, you know, it was, was, was a little bit weird for a little bit because we haven't seen each other in a while. But, um, but we, but, you know, the blood is strong. We became... You know, it, it was basically an emotional time, uh, period of time with them. And, uh, and, you know, and that, that, that was the good thing was a good time when also, you know, life was starting to happen for me, you know, and so I was able to, uh, help them as well, go to school, those kind of things. Uh, I say maybe six years or so. Okay. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Yep. Yep. It was crazy. So none of us knew where, you know, uh, all of us, you know, each other, be, you know. But back then, a lot of people, our families got separated. And, you know, I mean, even now, there's some people, 26 years later, there's still some people who haven't found their uh, their families and, and haven't, you know, they don't know if they died or not. Um, That's so crazy. The whole country was, was on the ground and everybody really, you know, families, you know, parents, kids, they all run on their own way. If, you, you know, if they drop a bomb, in your village, you all just run your own ways and you don't know where you end up. So a lot of people, um, some of the other people still haven't found their own families. And I'm sure some of them are still alive, but don't know where each other are. So I, one thing I got to say about you, man, I mean, I learned a lot just now about your life, but even with what I've, you know, what I've known and just knowing you for, you know, over a decade that I've known you and we've done a lot of stuff together. I've played music with you, you know, mm-hmm. hung out, shot the shit, you know, had cigars, yeah. whatever. Um, I, the thing that I know about you is 
you for out, out of just anybody that I know, you are probably the most happy, joyful, just hilarious dude that I know. I've never seen you mad dude, about anything, <laughs> which is crazy ever. given the circumstances. And that's just out of everybody I know. And then when yeah. then when people find out a little bit of your backstory and all the things that you've gone through, mm-hmm. the things that you could be upset about, the things that mm-hmm. you know people would not even blame you. For, yeah. you know, going through hard times or being down on yourself. And I'm sure you've had those times, yeah. but I've never, ever seen you and not seen those huge pearly white teeth years come out every <laughs> single time, every time. So, I mean, I, well, I want to know about that for you. I mean, what is it, you know, when you, are you ever feeling down like that? And when you do, what, do you, how do you get out of that? Or what questions are you asking yourself, um, to get, to get yourself yeah. back? Um, well, there's something that about really, I feel, I don't know, there's something about growing up as an orphan that actually, uh, helps you, I don't know, maybe really embrace the mortality, uh, you know, immortality of life. And there is something about, you know, growing up, uh, lonely, you know, when I was a kid, I used to be alone a lot and, and I would cry, right? And most of the times that I was alone was, uh, was when there was good things that happening, you know, uh, like for example, in a primary school in in Rwanda, in Africa, when you perform well in school, in the classes, you know, uh, usually if you became number one in your grade, uh, usually it's a bigger celebration. You know, your whole parents come, your family come, they bring you, you know, uh, gifts. You know, that night they're gonna kill a chicken or a goat, something like to make sure, that, you know, to show you that you're important. You're gonna be something in the future you know i used to perform well in a class and i didn't have anybody to come and celebrate with me and um and so i and that used to really break my heart sometimes uh, when i was a kid to do that and then eventually i was like you know i'm just gonna do that anyway i wanted to perform well anyway and uh and so why i was gonna go there is that there's something about going through all those type of things where in some ways, kind of like uh, uh, you see kind of so you embrace that suffering in some ways is part of life. And it's not like uh, something to escape, but something to embrace in, in some ways. So uh, so as you, as you grow up, then you start feeling that no matter what happens, you know, uh, you know, shit happens. You know what I mean? You're going to things are going to happen. You're just going to go out of it. And so. Uh, uh, and then when I also had to really, uh, have, you know, get, getting into the music and, you know, really the entertainment, being an entertainer and the music also kind of like became really my home, my refuge, you know, and again, it goes back to where I was on the street and I would sing my mom's songs and I would feel like uh, comforted, you know, uh, over time, really singing became a kind of my refuge where I go back to actually, uh, uh, kind of connect with who I am. And so as far as the attitude and stuff like that, you know, it just like, um, I don't know, I, I, it's kind of hard to say there's, there's no really formula. Obviously, we all got, you know, bad days and good days. And, uh, but I just, for me, I, I kind of kept just the faith of knowing, like, you know, um, I just keep going and, you know, it's kind of hard to come up with one, you know, there's no really secret sauce there of, of that. It's just, uh, for me, when I embraced, you know, when I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm alive, I've seen deaths, I'm fin- I've seen poverty, 
you know, everything that I have now, I don't deserve. I don't deserve any of, you know. Uh, no matter what, yes, I've put some work in it, you know, but there's a lot of people who work hard, you know. Even in America, you know, there's a lot of people who work hard 80 hours, you know, a week, and they still even don't get to uh, make income that I make, you know, when you know, when I don't even work full time or don't, you know. And so I just feel like I don't deserve any of the things that happen and have happened. So um, I guess kind of like to keep grateful, you know, uh, uh, to keep kind of being grateful. One thing also I kind of keep in my mind is that to focus on the positive side, if I would say, you know, I've always envisioning a zero, a negative and a plus on the right side, a negative on the on the left side, the zero uh, in the middle. And that's really the numbers that, are, that you know, that exist. And uh, and I've learned over the years that whatever, whichever side you're going to spend in, that's the side that is going to expand or um, that's gonna, that you're going to see more. If you if you spend most of your time on a negative sign, you know, uh, everything else that you see, everything else that happens becomes negative. And then, and then the more you focus on negativity, and then it multiplies and it becomes more and then uh and then you you don't see the blessings that are happening around you you know because because you live in negativity and and then they multiply and then once you live there and your mind is there you're really gonna start seeing shit stuff happen in your life because that's what you 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 focus on you know uh they said that we we uh we see what we aim at so if the aim is a negative you know this is not possible this is not gonna work my life sucks. I am an orphan. Nobody loves me. Um, you know, uh, who cares? I don't speak English. I'm five two, you know, tall or whatever. Have an accent. You know, when you start focusing on what you don't have, you know, in my case, there are so many obstacles that I had that I had to just be like, okay, these are all negative. You know, these are all negative. I'm an orphan. I don't have parents. I don't speak English well. Now I'm in America. You know, I'm I'm a, I'm a small kid. I'm a five two. You know, and um and I'm black and and have accent. You know, those all those things that could have like that I thought through that if I kind of focused on it, it would have actually made me uh, go into a deeper place to where I wouldn't have uh, accomplished what I've been accomplishing. But I embraced it. You know, this is all I have. It yes, that's me. You know, it sucks. You know, but. But then let me leave that negative part. Then it come to zero, I'm like, you know, are you going to be stagnant? You know, if you focus on zero, you just don't think about future. You don't dream. You just live in the present, which is a great place to be. But again, you know, we are not made to not improve. You know, everybody likes to improve. Everybody likes to, you know, create. We are creative people. And so you're going to stay stagnant. And then I start seeing a positive sign, you know, okay, positive sign. Now what do I have, you know? Uh, I start thinking, okay. Well, uh, what I have, you know, I, I have education. I'm able to learn, you know. Uh, I have a lot of people who want to support me to go to school. You know, either I can not go there or I can take advantage of it and, you know, uh, and go to school and then that multiplies and then, uh, or I can be a good friend to somebody so I don't become a jerk, you know. And so that, you know, uh, if I'm positive, other people are positive around me and then, and so if I keep focusing on whatever that is happening, as opposed to what's not happening, and I, I start seeing in, the, in my life that a lot of really good things continue to happen. And people want to work with you. People want to work with me. People want to be around. And then all the opportunities opens. So 
so I kind of like got really that thinking of, you know, um, of just focusing on that positive sign. You know, there's a, there's other thing that I learned when I was younger about the life in general and, um, events that happen to us, you know, uh, the events are, I learned that events are independent on, 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 on if whatever happens in life are just independent, meaning that, you know, yes, there was genocide that I was part of. Yes, there was, uh, uh, yes, there is a uh, being orphan. There is, there is, uh, uh, there is not being able to, to be educated. All those are events, you know, uh, and the, the things that happen to us are independent. But what's going to create a huge difference is the meaning that we put to that events. And, uh, so if, uh, if one kid goes through the genocide and become orphans and they're all together and one person sees it as that, you know, the world hates them, you know, they, you know, they, they are not valued. You know, if you see like we are not valued, you know, the world hates me, you know, I'm an orphan now, the genocide happens, you know, now I can't even work. People should take care of me, you know, all those things. And, and that's the meaning you give it to that. Then it becomes, that becomes your reality and reality becomes your life. But if the event happens and, you know, you see that, yes, you know, uh, the genocide happens. I'm an orphan. This stuff. Now it's time for me to actually uh, maybe work a little bit harder than most people have parents because they uh, because they have the luxury to to know that if they can't afford the rent one month, maybe they can move in back with their parents. You now you take you know put that meaning is like maybe my meaning now of these events is that I need to work double double harder or 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 I need to think about positive thoughts even even if you know. Uh, that, you know, yes, I lost everything, but, you know, you know, that means that I need probably to even pursue happiness and joy, you know, uh, uh, more extra, more time and pay attention to the positive thoughts that maybe a person who never had to go through the, the same hardships you went through because they don't have those images that lingers in their heads all the time. And so you, you work extra hard on that. And, you know, uh, so it's basically all the decisions and, and with learning and the faith and and the the people that I put myself around, all that has really helped me kind of move move forward and and just have faith in life in general. I think uh, it's funny, man. When you were just just a minute ago, you were talking about the things that you saw as negative things in your life, and you were talking about you know being five two, being you know <laughs> Rwandan, having an accent, um, being a child orphan. I mean, those are you probably know this now, but those were all your positives that you listed. Those are all the things that made you unique, that made people yeah. want to reach out to you, that that gave you that success in America. You know. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you said that. You know, I think. Uh, you know, yeah. Um, you know, who knows? You know, like there, there is different variables to it. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people look at you, and you know, they and they say your name, and they, you know, they know exactly. You know, someone says your name, and and they instantly have those traits. You know, they know. Oh yeah. He's that guy. He's okay. like, he's super yeah. short. You know, he's he's buff. He's got tons of muscles. You know, he sings. Yeah. He was a he was an orphan. I don't really know anything about him, but I know all those things because those, yeah, those made yeah. you unique. That, no, because no it. one else has and that. And that makes me happy, you know, because you know uh, they're talking about like uh, you know um, I guess kind of like uh, you know art and uh, guy you know changing kind of what what meant to be bad for the good reasons. You know, I think. Uh, uh, you know, I think it makes me happy when all those, you know, 
all those are my aspects and people know that which is great you know so yeah absolutely man i mean and i'm wondering too i mean so here you are now um you know you've been through all that you know you're learning how to see the positive in anything you've got a kid now who's gonna have a a life that your parents couldn't have even dreamed of for you you know and um what's your plans now man i mean what where do you want to go uh in the future with your art um you know what kind of father do you want to be like what's what is what does all that look for you now and i mean you know the follow-up question too would be you know how do you think being on the streets really you know what what would be different if you hadn't had you know that experience on the streets like you know where how are you going to take that street kid forward Mm. into the future you know what i'm saying yeah, so I think uh, right now, uh, actually, I'm glad that we talked about this uh, uh, right now because I feel like I just got really in the, you know, right place personally where I feel like I belong. You know what I mean? Um, I feel like uh, I don't feel like I, I'm survivor anymore. I don't feel like I, I'm not worried about whether my right my, my life is going to be messed up. You know, like even when I was in uh, Oregon, in a place I was always worried, you know, uh, where do I belong in America or do I don't? Because I was still on student visa, you know. But most people didn't know that. Most people thought I belonged in America, and I thought I belonged in America too. But also back home, I didn't have family, so I didn't belong there either. So there was always that thing where it was really difficult for me to even sit and strategize and create a complete plan because I didn't trust that I, um, I what I had then was going to last. You know, and so now I feel like I'm in that right place, you know, where I feel like I have kind of the foundation of everything. I, you know, I'm able to uh, have an income to cover just basics of life. And also, and and I'm also able in in a good place where I can create my own music and write with the things that I actually want to write about and release music on a runabout. I'm in a good place where I can invest my own money into my own art and uh, actually, you know, release things, you know, in a more professional way and more like uh, in the class that I wanted to be released. So basically moving forward right now, I just have like, you know, in my schedule, I know like number one things, you know, I have four things I value, my core values in life, obviously is my faith and then my family and then obviously I value money. You know, I'm not going to lie. I like to make money. And then uh, and then on the music, I value the music because I know when I have money, I can make the music or be part of the music business that I want to be in. And so moving forward, my goal right now is to, you know, I recently started a record label that registered uh, for myself. It's called Rose and K, Rose and K Records. Uh, actually, Rose is my mom's name and K is my dad's name. Got it. Oh, that's awesome, man. And so as yes, Rosen K Records uh, just registered recently and I am working with the music lawyer to help me kind of create a structure here that uh, for the kind of run as a record label, uh, me being part of the artist. So I'm trying to go into more like uh, uh, the business, uh, the the business of the art, uh, while I'm also part of the artist in, in that business. That's so, right, man. Uh, my goal is to create... Um, my goal is to create basically a little music record label, whether it's me and other people, put a put a decent budget, you know, behind it, and and start releasing stuff. And mostly just because I believe that's what I was made to to, to do. 
and that's where I find joy. That's my vocation. So, uh, so instead of tithing to something else, I'm gonna tithe my tithe towards my music record label because I know like it's gonna be helping other people, uh, other artists, those kind of things. And so, uh, so my goal is basically to create that kind of record label where I'm an artist and I'm creating. And then, uh, obviously I like to make, I like, I like business and like music. So, and I like my career right now. <laughs> so, uh, but it gives me a lot of freedom to be able to also, um, have time to create because right now I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of, you know, um, I don't have a boss telling me, you know, those kind of things, what to do and when to do it. So I have a little bit of That's freedom. Nice. <laughs> um, and so, so I want to continue to do what I do so I can generate income and the money to be able to put into music. And if, if it ends up catching up or something else, so I can do that full time, then, then I'm going to dedicate that or time to that. And with that, you know, obviously I want to be there for family, you know, kind of just try to manage my time well so I can, I just feel like I can't be happy at all if I'm not happy if I go for a while, just business, business, business and finances, and there is no studio time, and there is no music, there's no writing. I feel like a, like a whole in some ways, you know what I mean? I feel like I'm just like Absolutely no going yeah. for money. You know what I mean? But I'm still find that right stuff. balance between between your art and, and your work. Exactly. So it's uh you know, and I always wanted that. That's why I went to school in the first place. And I always that's why I went into the industry. I mean, because I have I can have that uh, um uh, flexibility. But so I don't wanna be in a corporate really just myself, but also I wanna do the art, but also I can't afford just where I am now now, my age right now to just follow the art and hope that it can pay the bills. So I kind of like just like balancing it. And my goal is to one, you know, one of my future goals is to own really like a, a music venue, like a bar or club down here in LA with a studio in it and a live, um, a live, uh, uh, a live, uh, uh, basically room part of it. So we can be recording music, you know, in a studio and then we perform it there. And then there is something like that. That's kind of like in my, Next five, ten years go, uh, if I could afford to, if I could basically be able to do that. But yeah, so. That's great, man. That's incredible. That, I love all that. And I, okay. I just feel like you have, so, I mean, you have a story to tell in the sense that, you know, you, not a lot of people can say that they have had the experience where they just, they don't feel like they belong anywhere in the world. You know, you've seen it all. You've seen, you know, starvation, rape, murder, you know, all the stuff that, you know, nightmares are made of and you're the most cheerful joyful person i've ever met in my life and you're out spreading that message of positivity not in a fake way from somebody who's never had anything bad happen in their life before but in you know from someone who knows what it's like to take the worst of the worst and turn it into to go through all that to go through all that darkness and be able to find the light in it and find the positivity and focus on that and go through life doing that and to carry that message to everybody else out there through the music, I, I just think it's great. Yeah, thank you. I do appreciate it. I do appreciate it. And, um, you know, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a hard kind of sometimes, it's challenging sometimes to really embrace the, the calling, you know. Um, um, you know, uh, it's, it's sometimes difficult because, you know, you know, you know, you have the calling and, you know, you know, you know, there are a lot of things that you went through that 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 really just being, you know, a financial advisor who have 
a family and a nice house, a nice family is at some point not enough. You know what I mean? At least for me. So, um, so kind of this struggle, uh, for me has always been there where I'm convinced that I can't just, you know, have a normal, you know, get to the place where, um, I just have a job and, and a family and provide well. I, I don't feel like I, I would have done what I was supposed to do, you know, and, but the calling is there, but sometimes it's challenging to actually really, uh, step out of, um, of the system. You know what I mean? Um, it, it, it can be hard sometimes, man, to, to kind of act on your, your calling or your purpose at times. Like it, it's, exactly, exactly. It's, it's but, hard to step you know, out into that fully. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like, you know, I'm getting older now and, um, uh, and I feel like, uh, you know, they used to say with the age comes with wisdom, but I'm starting to feel it, you know, because, because now I don't really give a shit about people, what they, you know, what they say as far as the, uh, what, what I should be, you know, or what I should do. And, uh, one of the hardest part of my journey was that also being a receiver, you know, the one who always receives because of the situation I was in is that I spent a lot of time in my life without really making uh, my own decisions on things and I got conditioned to um, take other people's ideas and what they want me to do uh, as what I should do. Part of it because I was always at, a, at people's mercy for a long time and um, and that kind of got to a place where at some point I really kind of really lost myself, you know, in in what I actually personally want and what who I, who I am personally. You know, I'd love to... What, I want to talk a little bit more about that where, you know, you, so you, just to go back a little bit because you had, I'm sure you felt grateful and felt maybe even a debt to, mm-hmm. you know, these Americans who basically came and, you know, gave you mm-hmm. this band, this music opportunity, this platform to go um, you know, a, a way to travel through the U.S. and mm-hmm. what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm, I guess I'm curious, you know, what, um, what was it that you felt you couldn't get out that you wanted to or you know what mm-hmm. what was that music that maybe you put out that you didn't really yeah. you weren't well feeling? i'm just getting that? out of it to be honest uh dustin right now you know um um i'm just getting out of really uh, of that thing i mean like when you are an orphan and you grow up really knowing that you know none of the people who gave me anything in my life are related to me in any way you know and and so you are a person like me, for example, you have that lady that I lived with for the first time. She gave everything for, for her. She didn't have a room. She didn't even have a bed for me, but I slept, I slept on the floor for her. So, so, and she did, she did good. You appreciate it. You are a kid. You need it. And she knows it. But again, also, uh, you get, you move up and then you are coming to America and now you feel like, uh, you know, yes, you're grateful. Yes, you, uh, you, you say, you tell them you're grateful, you're present, but sometimes it doesn't, sometimes never feel enough, you know, uh, for, for a receiver to feel like they have actually, uh, you know, uh, cause there's one different one in your blood when you know, like it's your mom or your brother just doing something for you. That's what's supposed to do. But also something where when people do great things for you and, and you know that, um, it's good and they're doing it out of a good heart. But eventually when you get out of that, you know, it's really hard to get, to get over the idea of like, I, I, I owe them stuff. You know what I mean? I owe them to, 
I owe them to be to be around. Or if I don't go for a month without calling somebody that you know like really almost saved your life, then you feel guilty. But again, right. you know, but again, you have also some other things, and that really over time influences the decisions that you make and the way you do because you always feel like you know uh, you kind of need a little bit of approval in that. Not in more like uh, approval, like or to have confidence, not like that, but to know that you are grateful enough, you know. And over the years, you know, I've also had some people really who, you know, kind of helped me, but when they personally also needed something else, so uh, not necessarily from me, but from the, you know, from the public or from something else, and and you. You don't know at some at that point when you're the one receiving that that's the case. And then you find out later that really like there is a little bit of kind of that requirements and expectations that you have to make um, in order for for them to feel like appreciated and some stuff. So so all that takes really a while to reconcile. And that's really what I've been working on these past five years after college, you know, I went through a couple of years when it was a little bit, you know, really challenging and uh, and dark in ways of like, you know, who am I, you know, uh, who am I now that I'm here? I just graduated. I have a wife, you know, I'm in America now. I just turned, I became a citizen of the United States uh, recently. And then I was like, so who am I now from moving forward? Because before I was this orphan kid and I did what everything told me to do and I spent all my life trying to, uh, actually, uh, be compliant, you know, in some ways, uh, not like in a bad way or in a more like a resentful way, but in a compliant of like, uh, you know, be who people want me to be because they were the ones who are supporting me and I was at their mercy. And, um, so now that's gone. So now, now where do I move from now as a human? What do I do? Like, do I even know who I am? You know, like you know, those kind of things, but, um, so it took me a while to, through times of thinking and meditating and praying and uh, and getting lost a little bit here and there, but um, but I feel like now I'm coming out of it, you know. And really recently, I became a citizen of the United States this January of this year, and that really kind of felt like I was crossing over to actually becoming uh, somebody and becoming almost like just like I kind of feel my uh, own energy, uh, whereas I just felt like all the energy was being uh, uh, consumed uh, by other things or other people, the things I was thinking about, or who I'm going to be next for this person, those kind of things. And uh, right now, I feel like uh, it's all almost like done, and I feel like, okay, I can produce the music that I want to produce. You know, I can uh, write the book, you know, about my past. Before, I never felt like I was ready to write a book because I felt like I was still, you know, in my past, you know, but I kind of feel like I'm crossing over that now if I could work with, you know, a ghost writers, which I'm kind of thinking about, I can actually create kind of a book series of my life because I feel like now I'm in that safe place. And the music I'm writing right now is really the music I feel like I'm like in love with personally, you know, and I don't care as much whether everybody's going to like it, but I feel like just the fact that I'm loving it, I feel like it's going to create a bit of a difference. That's, that's awesome, great, man. I love that you're finding that's, your own voice. Yeah. That's such a good mindset to have right now. Oh, if you, 
if you could hack Donald Trump's Twitter and okay. send out one tweet, what would it say? You, you, you got, you got 140 characters. You got one tweet. I was like, uh, I would really swear. I would be like, you motherfucker talk too much. I'm still president. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what I would say. Okay. So your official answer, I just want to get this on the record. That, your official answer is you motherfuckers talk too much. I'm, I'm the, still president. the president. You know, go to work. <laughs> go to work. Yeah. All right. Well, we haven't um, heard that one yet. Maybe a follow up to that that I think would be kind of interesting. If you were only able to send out one more tweet about me, um, I think that uh, I would say that you know, um, uh, you know, I would say like uh, I don't know. I would say like I'm, I'm ready. You know, I'd say I'm ready to. I'm ready to you know to show you what I can. You know, um, I can do. I'm ready to. Uh, to you know, to share with you the you know the best of what I can do you know right now you know we I'd say you know spend a lot of time building now it's time to actually operate you know it's time to you know uh, uh, make sure things are happening so I'm gonna be you know releasing some good music for you guys. That's awesome. That's man. sick, man. That's so good, brother. I love you. It's it's been too long since we got to talk. Um, it's I'm super stoked and thank you so much for the time that you've given us today. Of course, my man. Anytime, anytime. Let me know if you guys are in LA. You know when the quarantining is done, and um, or if you know if you want to collaborate in any in a shape or form. Absolutely, man. Collaborate. Yeah. yeah, hit me up if you want to write a song together. Whatever you want to do, Let's sign me to your record label. I'm in. Let's, I'm already. Yeah, okay, for sure, yeah. man. Sure. <laughs> yeah, do that. Enric, thank you so much for your for your time, man. Having just gotten to know you and everything, you've. Such an inspiring story, man. Th- thank you. All right. For, thank for you very much. Thank you. I'm honored to be on your podcast. Right on, man. Well, I'll be chatting Bye. with you Bye. soon and uh, hit you up in a minute. Bye, Bye man. Brother. Bye.